Hi, I'm Sergeon Vucetic and this is Contemporary Security Studies. Today we're going to talk about artificial intelligence or AI, the saga of machines outperforming humans. It's an old one uh, and a never-ending one. The day I'm recording this, August 21st, 2020, an AI algorithm has again beaten a human fighter pilot in a virtual dogfight. The contest was the finale of the U.S. military's Alpha Dog Fight Challenge. It's an effort to demonstrate the feasibility of developing effective, intelligent, autonomous agents capable of defeating adversary aircraft in a dogfight. I'm just reading this off of a, a U.S. website, U.S. government website. Last August, uh, so a year ago, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, or DARPA, selected eight teams uh, ranging from large traditional defense contractors such as Lockheed Martin, and I've studied them for a very long time, uh, to small groups like Heron Systems uh, to compete in a series of trials uh, this year. Uh, the final took place uh, last night, and Heron Systems emerged as the victor against the seven other teams after two days of old-school dogfights going after each other using no same guns only. So kind of like in computer games that some of you have played or have parents uh, who have played them since they're not as popular as, as, as they used to be uh, in the 90s. So Huron then faced off against a human fighter pilot sitting in a simulator and wearing a virtual reality helmet. And Huron won five rounds to zero. And the contest was part of a broader DARPA effort called Air Combat Evaluation or ACE, which doesn't necessarily seek to replace pilots with unmanned systems, but it does seek to automate a lot of uh, pilot tasks. So it's a big story in the defense uh, news uh, for today. I should like to add that it's not the first time that an AI has bested a human fighter pilot in a contest. Uh, four years ago, I think uh, a demonstration showed that an AI agent dubbed Alpha could beat an experienced human combat flight instructor. But this one, this DARPA simulation was arguably more significant because it pitched a variety of AI agents against one another and then against a human in a highly structured uh, framework. So it was an experiment. Uh, you know, it was a pilot uh, without, uh, without uh, a VR headset and a, and a fake stick, and, you know, AI beat a human pilot at a video game. Uh, so you could say, well, it's not at all surprising that AI performs well in a simulated environment and that human advantages are less important. That's fair. Those criticisms are fair. Um, and you could say also that transition from this kind of AI to an unmanned platform with integrated sensors, weapons, and combat controls is expensive and vulnerable to all sorts of threats. So, you, you know, when you say an AI just beat a human F-16 pilot in a dogfight, that's actually very misleading because we're not talking about, uh, you know, an actual uh, op operational situation in which you have everything going on at the same time, right? Uh, so there, there are many ways to, uh, in many, many ways uh, in, in which AI would simply fail in, in the, 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 the latter environment. And you could, I mean, this too is a, is a, is a common and, and fair criticism. You can say that the real problem with this kind of AI theater is that the Pentagon desperately needs AI innovation, bar 
but but you know it, it cannot actually reap the most benefits uh, in um, uh, in in other ways of uh, except when when it stages these kinds of performances. Um, the, you could you could in fact argue, and I have argued together with my colleague here, Tomas Genot, that you know the the the, the best value for the buck uh, when it comes to AI and defense is you know uh, is using it for health records, personal management, logistics. It, it's not for replacement uh, for manned systems such as the F sixteen or you know F eighteen or whatever. Um, but of course, these other tasks are, are not very sexy. You can't really sell that to the media, and then you can't sell that to politicians who will then decide on, you know, how, or, or rather your senior officers who will then decide how money gets allocated uh, across different uh, uh, units of, of the Pentagon, so DARPA versus something else. Um, so what you need is to unlock the potential of AI uh, in, in, in everything, right, uh, and, and not just uh, in autonomous weapons. But the point of this vignette is that the military applications of AI and the related feature of autonomy received widespread attention in public debates precisely through these kinds of stories. And this in turn means that they feature regularly in uh, all kinds of other debates, academic debates in international relations and our contemporary security studies are an obvious example, but also in policy debates, right? And so in 2013, the issue of autonomous weapons entered the international political arena, more specifically the UN Convention on Conventional Weapons, CCW. These ongoing discussions in the CCW world have considered, among other issues, the importance of exercising human control in relation to the development and use of autonomous weapons. To the extent that there is any consensus among states, academics, NGOs, and the other commentators involved in these debates, it is, all of this is grounded in the idea that all weapon systems should be subject to some form of human involvement. That's the bottom line. That's the assumption. And this objective has been captured by different concepts, such as meaningful human control, appropriate levels of human judgment, and sufficient human control, all of which... Uh, are, are talking about uh, human involvement. Uh, this concept of meaningful human control has gained the most traction. And the first thing to understand in this debate that is that there's no agreed upon definition of meaning of human control in this context. I mean, even I think if, if we go to the DND website and look at various publicly available documents there, I don't think you're going to find uh, two definitions that are the same across different uh, uh, discrete units of texts. As th this is just a reflection that, um, well, on, on one level, it's a, a reflection of the fact that uh, th this topic is, is new. This is all involved. I, I called it machines outperforming humans being a never-ending saga. But when it comes to autonomous weapons, I mean, this is, this is a relatively new subject. One of the recommended readings on the, on the syllabus by Antoine Busquets talk, talks about the kind of historical or, or gives you a genealogy of, of this um, uh, of this evolution, uh, but you know, when it comes to F-16s uh, going into a dogfight with AI-operated uh, equivalents, this is relatively new. So to go back to that 
vignette with dogfighting. Uh, in this discourse, meaningful human control is typically associated with the relationship between the operator and the weapon. Uh, this can be problematic because in practice, various human beings exercise different forms of control at various junctures in the decision-making cycle that eventually leads to the deployment of weapon and operator, right? The, the so-called kill chain. You may have not uh, heard this before, but it's actually a term that goes back to the, to the Gulf War of 91, uh, 1991, uh, which, is, uh, uh, which is when we first learned about the, you know, the, United, the, the ability of the United States military to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, as, uh, to, use, <laughs> to use American uh, discourse, to take out targets in Iraq uh, uh, from Washington uh, within, what, uh, a minute or so. Um, uh, um, a narrow focus on the operator controlling the weapon during mission execution does not pay due attention to the division of labor between humans and machines, and also in turn reconfigurations of human agency. Now, critical security studies would always make this point because there is a growing body of scholarship in this field and related fields such as science and technology studies that focuses on socio-technical relations and human agency in complex distributed systems. I won't go into it, uh, but there's also uh, an entire literature, an entire theory called actor network theory that looks at uh, non-human non forms of agency in precisely these situations. I've actually written about this uh, in the context of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, and I can send you some of that uh, material if you're really interested. Uh, also, if you're, you know, going back to some of our discussions of race and, and gender from earlier in the class, uh, Lauren Wilcox has a wonderful 2017 piece in Security Dialogue called Embodying Algorithmic War. Uh, and that, 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 that piece looks at, the, at drone warfare. So if you're interested in that, again, I could give you the full citation. So from this perspective of critical security studies, the human role in formulating objectives, developing and approving targets, conducting collateral damage estimations, weaponeering solutions and proportionality analysis and deciding on operational constraints and restrictions should not be ignored as it has been in policy literature, right? Um, we know that the, these bigger questions raised by SDS or CSS, critical security studies, never prevented states from ex extensively using the concept of meaning, meaningful human control to steer discussions, national, global, and otherwise. So after many years of deliberations about autonomous weapons uh, in the CCW, Con Convention on Conventional Weapons, states are experiencing increasing pressure to produce a tangible outcome, uh, something that they can say, here, we're doing something about the killer robots. So, um, um, you know, political declarations, Germany and France uh, issued one, uh, a legally binding instrument. So this is what campaign to stop killer robots uh, has been doing very successfully and other forms of global governance, right? But understanding uh, the distributed nature of control is an important factor when developing a concept such as meaningful human control. Why? Because it illustrates that human control does not need to have direct link with the weapon system. In other words, humans typically exercise different forms of control over important decisions, such as target selection and engagement. And this is all going on even before or even before weapons are activated. 
Therefore, the operator's control should be considered part of a larger process where there is a division of labor, and that's what we should be uh, focusing on, right? So an F-16 or an F-18 or an F-35 operator will typically not decide to attack a target autonomously unless the situation requires such an isolated decision-making in situations such as self-defense, which almost never happens when, when an F-16 is flying. Why? Because it's flying uh, as, as part of a large, larger uh, coalition. Um, so, so even uh, simply put, there are no fully autonomous systems, just as there are no fully autonomous soldiers, sailors, airmen, airwomen, pilots, and so on. That's, that's the kind of point I wanted to make first. So the readings uh, for this session are generally light because we're all preparing for the final exam slash assignments, but they are important. I've got a couple of them for you, Branka Marian. Uh, she is uh, working at Project Plow Plowshares, which is a Waterloo-based NGO interested in arms control and disarmament. They've been doing this work forever. Uh, you should definitely check their website, uh, Project uh, Plowshares Monitor. Um, is an interesting publication. And yeah, they're generally... Uh, Branka Marian and Cesar Jaramillo are, uh, are often in, in the news media here in Canada talking about arms trade, arms control, disarmament, and, and so on. So this, the, her piece, Marian's piece, uh, is, uh, is a very good overview of some of the big issues that arise when we talk about weapons and AI. And it will you know, make you think uh, uh, about what we're discussing today. It's a good introduction. The second reading looks specifically about killer robots. It's by Elvira uh, uh, Rosert and Frank Zauer. It's published recently in Com Com Contemporary Security Policy. And um, it's a comparative analysis of humanitarian disarmament uh, campaign strategies. So for those of you who are perhaps activists or interested in this sort of work, uh, it's, it's, it can be very helpful. But the question I have for you is, th is this. Should we ban the killer robots? If so, how? You might want to argue that we should not. Look at the readings. There's a piece by Ivan Ackerman that says we should not ban killer robots. And given what we just talked about, you might actually argue this is the wrong question to ask, right? So you'll say, actually, I would rephrase this question. So do that in the discussion board in your blogs. Now, I should say that there are many, many other aspects of AI and security. To go back to the to last week's session, the intersection between cybersecurity and artificial intelligence is ripe for serious study from a variety of angles. Uh, technology companies founded by engineers determined to solve and refine a software problem. Uh, they, they produce things that have massive political consequences. And whether that company is Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or any other analogous platform of the future, uh, this, is, this is hugely politically important. I, I probably don't need to explain this to you um, at this point in the, in the, in the course. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you'll be, you'll be asking questions uh, such as this, you know, in what ways foreign actors use all this data to generate machine learning algorithms that create strategic disadvantages and asymmetries. So we discussed some of this last week. Are there ways to restore trust in media institutions that are that has eroded from a proliferation of fake news, including AI-generated fake news? Again, to tie to the to, to the discussion from last week, and um, uh, these questions are evolving and therefore un unanswered, but they will be very important for you and for your generation of security specialists as you end up doing work for the public and private sector in the decades to come. And with that thought, I want to thank you for your 
participation, participation in the course for all your input and interest. And as always, it's been a privilege to teach happy students. Take care of yourselves and of each other and all oh, the best of luck in future endeavors. Bye.